0: Hello and welcome to Why are we talking about rabbits? I'm wearing a Mets hat again I've gotten over my hatred of the Mets I rooted for the Padres In order to overcome my hatred of my own team Self-hatred That's not important Because today we talked to Neil deGrade From Dirt Poor Robbins That is a musical group That you cannot afford to not know They're fantastic I would call them Concept musicians writing beautiful, beautiful ballads that go, that tell whole stories, and then they made a movie. And today we talk about that movie in our Immersion series with Neil deGrade. First Things Foundation presents what it's like to make a movie, be a musician, and be really good at your job, while also understanding the old world and the new world and this incredible cultural divide. Neil deGrade on Watar. Thanks for joining us and me. Yeah, yeah. First Things
1: Foundation. How you doing? You, I'm doing good. You I'm, ready? I'm I'm ready to talk about rabbits. Yeah. Are you ready to talk about rabbits? Yeah, ready to talk about rabbits.
0: I saw you on Peugeot sitting there while he answered questions and it made my day. I don't know. Guys, go look at that with uh, Neil. Oh, the me.
1: question and answer thing. <laughs> yeah. That was so, that, that was such a surprise while I was hanging out with him in Miami and, uh, yeah. He just like called me early in the morning. He's like, get up to my room. You're doing this with me. And I was like, still had like a bed head and like was sleepy eyed and I ended up doing a question and answer with him.
0: So here's what happened is I didn't know much about you guys at that point And I kept hearing your voice and then I saw it in video and I realized you were actually doing all your comments with your eyebrows.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. That's it. You got to do some. Well, you know, it's a, you got to use the entire medium, everything you've been given to communicate.
0: Yeah, so you, you're doing it well. So Thanks for coming on here. You know, what we're trying to do is figure out this sort of pre-enlightenment, post-enlightenment world, and then your music sort of jumps in there. First of all, just, I think your music tells a story about this divide, and I, I want to get into that. But you're an artist. We're doing an immersion series. Tell us how you became, quote, an artist. Oh, is that like, my
1: internet or yours? I just lost you. Uh, that one, on. I think that one's yours. Okay, darn it! I hope my internet behaves. Um, It's really good normally. Sorry about that. Okay, go ahead. What was the question again? So I missed all of that.
0: talk. No, no worries. Talking about um, this immersion thing that we're doing. Uh, this immersion series. Mm-hmm. Uh, artists, I, there's a moment I found when we talk to artists or talk to anybody who's doing something sort of uniquely when they realize they're doing the thing and that they are that they are the singer, they are the guitarist, they are mm-hmm. whatever. I was there a moment when you realized you were that thing, you weren't an imposter?
1: Um, You know, that's funny because uh, I did have a little bit of an imposter syndrome for a while. It's a interest, that's a really interesting first question. Um, Well done. So uh, (laughs) I never get asked this one. Okay. So growing up, uh, taking music lessons was mandatory in my family. My family was filled with entertainers um, and musicians. And my father was a radio broadcaster, my mother was a jazz singer. My dad's brother was a musician and a music teacher, and every one of my mom's family sings. It's like the Von Traps. We go over there for Christmas, and we bust out Christmas carols. And there's 30 people singing in four part harmony. <laughs> and it's really weird to bring a, like a, you know a potential like fiance into that situation because it's overwhelming. It's it's not. It feels staged. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there was that. But in the background of that, I grew up in in southern New England in the in the state of Rhode Island, the, the smallest state in uh, in the United States. And I went to the smallest high school in the smallest state. And so one of the things that was happening is that I was always encouraged to take music lessons. From the time I was 13, I was in recording studios. I was recording on other people's projects. Um, I was a visual artist as well. And but uh, part of the context of living in that culture was it wasn't a dreamer's culture uh, where one of the things you learn right away, there was a lot of fighting going on when I was a kid, like a lot of fist fighting in school. And uh, like, as soon as the, we, the, everybody had this way of keeping people in check, like the NHL does, like you don't see these big egos in the NHL, because as soon as you step up and you're like, I'm going to do this, or you have a big plan or a dream, it's like people play whack-a-mole with your dreams and it becomes a <laughs> source of, of comedy. So, and, and then my parents who, who had encouraged me to take these music lessons and were, were very talented themselves. they, they are always trying to get me to get a normal job, like part of the background message. And they, they're doing a sensible thing when they're talking about this, because they don't, they're, they're surrounded by talented people I don't even know if they, they think that, I don't even know if they realized that like what I was doing, I could make money at, but they were right. always kind of like trying to get me to get a normal career and a normal job. So in the back of my head, I always had like, Oh man, I love this thing. I love making art. I don't, I don't. I can't make myself do anything else so consistently. Like I don't have to force myself to do this. I can't stop myself from doing this. But it's not going to be a career I can have. It's not going to be something I can do. So uh, there was always this thing. Like as soon, like when people would pay me or I was making money doing music or whatever, it just felt like it was going to go away. Immediately. And then, you know, you look back in your while, and like, and my mom's so cute. She's still funny. She's still like, you know, Neil, like, you would have been a wonderful physical therapist. And she'll still tell me that <laughs> now still, and stuff she'll like that. Still tell you that so, right now. Yeah. But they're like, they're excited about what I'm doing. I don't mean to put them in a bad no, light. Of, they're course. of course. But um, yeah. So, like, I did have this idea, like, Ah, uh, because part of also moving forward in art is you have to put yourself in situations where you're going to look stupid. Like you have to dive in over your head. You have to jump into a room or jump into a session where everybody in there is more experienced than you. You don't know if you're ready, and but you're pretending like you are, so you are being a little bit of an imposter. You know what I mean? There's a part of this, like, yeah, I, I should, I belong here. Uh, but then I learned over time it was actually just way better if I admitted like. <laughs> <laughs> like that I wasn't sure. And then I, that I set people's expectations lower and just astonished them if something good happened. So yeah, I think that's a really interesting question because I think that this is a hard thing for people to understand, but I had the reverse problem with what a lot of musicians have is that a lot of musicians have this problem where um, they get, they, they show some promise and then everybody around them like actually talks about them. Like they could be a star, they could yeah. be a career and they, and they'll lose their first love. They start to try to jump into the industry and try to hack their way to a hit. And I was luckily, and as much as it was a negative thing where I had to fight through it, I was protected from that idea because I wasn't trying to um, reverse engineer how to make a hit. I just yeah. loved music, and I did it because I loved it. So uh, it, it protected me against that.
0: That is, it reminds me of a moment. Uh, one of my daughters was fast and good at soccer, and she was a ninth grader, and, I, you know, as the father. I was that person you're describing that screwed stuff up because I'm like, look at this kid. She was playing on the varsity team as ninth grade. She's, she's dominant. And so I went to my good buddy who played pro soccer. He's a Nigerian guy who played in Europe. And I said, Joe, what do you think? So he had seen her play, but that's not what he said. He said, let me ask you something. How often does she go out and play? I'm like every day you got to know practice every day. She's there. No, no. How often does she take the ball and go out and play? And I said, hmm. like, you mean with the ball? <laughs> like on her own? Yeah. How often? I was like, well, I don't know. That's he fun. goes, well, let me ask you this. How often does she go out and play in the playground, play pickup with the Mexican kids? I was like, hmm. zero. I said, he, he said, don't push her. Stop. It's not important to her. And that was the end of the conversation. <laughs> and guess what? Uh, no, but he, Yeah, he nailed it. He nailed it. He nailed and it. And you just went right through it and went right through it so what what happens then is there a moment when you wrote an album is there a moment when you did a live performance that that was um I don't I don't know a dramatic in nature or was it wasn't really that kind of idea
1: yeah I mean so the problem is you're putting me in a situation where I have to tell a story that like I put myself in a good light and so I'm uncomfortable with those but I'm gonna do it I'll anyway I'll put you in a bad yeah. light in a second I promise. okay thank you <laughs> thank you so when I was learning to like, so I played my, I was forced to take piano lessons and it just, there was something about piano to me at the time. It wasn't cool. I liked like in the eighties, I loved like the guitar player taking the, their axe to the edge of the stage and, you know, and there was something mobile about it. And there was something that to me was more appealing. It felt more like me. And you have more control over the expression of that instrument. Cause you actually have to make the notes and sustain the notes and bend the notes and uh, keep the thing in tune. So, um, I begged my parents around 11 or 12 if I could switch over to guitar because they were going to make me take music lessons one way or another. And they agreed to it. I had the cheapest guitar. I had the cheapest gear. Like there was there was like no assistance in really like getting me like the stuff I wanted, which was great. This was all like these things felt like terrible things. My parents don't care about what I want to do at the time. And they were really doing me some uh, doing me a big favor by making me fight through it because I wanted it. Mm. So um, I would just pull up records and like I didn't know any other guitar players. Everybody in my family played piano. And uh, I'd put on a record, and I'd learn Van Halen song or whatever I liked. It was a song that came on the radio it was "Let's Go Crazy" by Prince that really convinced me well, to play I, guitar.
0: We're the same. Are we the same generation? That's what's happening. Yeah. Right
1: now. Well, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, we're Ooh. we're finding out we're both. That's holes. my
0: follow up question. Go ahead. I want to hear this.
1: Okay. So anyway, he he rips into a solo at the end of "Let's Go Crazy," and I'm like, I love that sound. I love what that's doing to me. I want that. So, um, I would just pick stuff off records and I didn't know that Eddie Van Halen was like impossibly good. I didn't know any of the people I was trying to learn their stuff. They were impossibly good. So nobody told me I couldn't play it. So I learned Mm. it and learned to play it like them. So by the time I ever showed up in public in front of other people, I had no idea. I just thought I was learning guitar. And so we went to a battle of the bands. I think I was like 14 and I was like the only person there that young, and, you know, in leather pants, and my parents wouldn't let me grow out my hair properly, so I didn't really fit in, <laughs> and I remember kind of looking around, like, these people are terrible at guitar, like, like, what are they doing, and I remember shredding, and like, everybody freaking out about it, and I was like, what the heck's happening? Like, I, am I, am I good? What's, <laughs> <laughs> oh, emotional. I'm I'm good, and, uh, and that's when I was like, I didn't realize it, because I was aiming so much higher right. than I would have if I had other people around me who were doing it, and, Also, I have this kind of chip on my shoulder where the opposite thing would happen, where if I wasn't good enough for something, I I wouldn't leave my room until I was. So Mm -hmm. I wasn't going to let I I wasn't aiming at just enough to impress people. I kind of wanted to be the best and not from a good motive at the time. It was like it was becoming part of my identity. Uh So,
0: yeah, do you think you were given that inclination? Let's let's not call it pride. Well, it might be pride. You know, there's good and bad pride. It, it, what was? The, how did you acquire the inclination
1: to? I'm not leaving until I get this done. Uh, until, yeah. Okay. Until, how does that? that was a radically. A yeah, I was a radically different person then. So I, I really had like, you know, what you would call, and it's hard to explain to people having gone through, but a, a serious like Christian conversion of the heart in the sense where. Um, As although I pretended to be happy for other people or around people like all through my teenage years, I was so internally competitive and Mm. I wasn't happy with anyone getting credit but me. And I I didn't necessarily act like that. You could probably provoke me to the point where you could tell that was my motive. I was pretty good at hiding it, but I was uncomfortable with the attention being on someone else. So, if there was something I fell short on, that was an internal challenge. I wasn't even really competing against other people. I, I wanted to settle down with myself at the end of the day and knew I couldn't be beat at something. And, you know, that you, you it produces a skill set, but it wasn't until, uh, it wasn't until I, I got older and, uh, like the, those things became my, the, my real motivations became apparent to me and that not everybody was so selfish and so prideful. And I've had a total flip in the sense where, um, like I'm ha- I'm happy for everyone. <laughs> like now I, when I go out in public, I assume the person I'm talking to has might have no one who cares about them or is rooting for them. So, I try to be everyone's friend in that capacity. I see that like and that is a although my personality on the outside is the same, it's a totally different wow. um inner experience I've had because of an encounter I've had with God. So, and you
0: it, okay, so so you you recognize what it is that happened. It's not it's not being it's not in becoming right now, you, you feel like something happened to you that you can identify. There was some sort of recognition of God and it changed your character.
1: Oh, absolutely. I was in, I was stuck in like a cause and effect pattern and it's like revelation breaks the normal cause and effect pattern of, of the world. And so I don't think I had the capacity within me or any skill within me to see, um, to see outside of myself, to know, to know that was a problem. Like I was treating myself like I was a God and I should mm-hmm. receive the attention and you, you have to have, you have to have, and it happens as a, as a process, not like in some, I wasn't on the road to Damascus and was blinded, you know, and heard the voice of God or anything like that. But well, it happened but maybe, like,
0: but maybe on one level. Yeah. Course, in, a, a, in a, if you want to way.
1: condense it in a nice made for TV story, you might do it in a moment like that. But there was a series of things that happened over the years where I actually, um, I actually saw, I, I felt like I really started to see people as something besides like, um, a sounding board to tell me I'm wonderful, like or something like that. So I don't really know talk about these things, and um, <laughs> but that was really, you know, it was uh, a very different thing. So now I, I really, I'm all about people and music and art is about people, uh, for me. So it, it's about connecting with people and and ho- hopefully, like, hopefully showing people like good art, beautiful art. Uh, I think what it does to me is it it breaks down the bad parts of me and heals right. me in a yeah, way. It's, so that's gorgeous. You know. That, and it brings something that was normally at a distance close to me, you know, for a moment that's beautiful. That like is, a moment where the heavens open up.
0: That's resonant with me. That's, uh, I, I, I see it outside of the fine arts. I see it in any human mm. being who's trying to take that which is and make it into something that, you know, becoming something beautiful. And And we're all doing yeah. it or not, right? But I agree, there's a certain there's a certain part to the fine arts that, that draws us all when, especially when it's beautiful. So you've got a new movie. (laughs) It's coming out. It's not out right now. I do. People can't jump on and see it right now, but in about two weeks, right? Tell us about queen of the night.
1: Well, whenever this airs, I don't know when you're going to air this November 15th is probably the safest way to know. Um, Probably right about then this will come out. Yeah. November 15th is coming out (laughs) right about November 15th. So that's the date I'm planning on releasing it right now. It's currently in a, in a film festival in Australia. Uh, So we got I don't know how this happened like I'm always I'm always shocked when something like is is accepted by someone else but uh, we were nominated for best picture best director and best cinematography for it Um, and that really wasn't the reason we made it like one I wanted to see if I could make a film I had a story I really wanted to tell. And I felt it was a way, it was a natural extension of what we were already doing. Uh, my wife and I were doing as artists where we were doing concept records. I was seriously inspired by concept records as a kid. I loved that there was a deeper message that I didn't really totally understand. I loved Pink Floyd, the wall. I love Sergeant Peppers. Mm-hmm. I loved Queen. I loved Radiohead in the nineties. I loved okay. Computer. I knew that once I got the chance to make full records, I was making a concept record. So the next extent, uh, the next version of that for us was like, OK, we've we've made like four concept records. Let's add a movie to the let's add a movie to the equation. Uh, I didn't know if we could do it when we made it. What was the hardest part about making a movie? Uh, the, the absolute the sheer tyranny of will you have to impose on yourself to get up and and to get all these moving parts going in the same That's direction it. to yeah. get it done. Like it's like you just have to there's has to be like a separate part of you that doesn't take any excuses from you like uh, so i had to like divide myself in that capacity and um and one of the real things like it's weird the one of the things that really helped me do that was the that i made the movie mostly with non-professional actors and actresses only one was uh has like an pre-existing imdb page with credits and uh i wanted this to be fun for them i wanted this to be a good experience and i wanted us to have a party together making the movie so um that was one of the things that kept me going is that the more I talked about it with other people and I got them excited about it. Now I was responsible to them and that was, it was easier for me to want to take care of them in the process than it was to take care of myself and my own yeah. reputation. So that helped.
0: Well, I saw it. I can say it's gorgeous. It's fantastically oh, gorgeous. It is haunting. So when people see this, well, what
1: about it for you? What, what about it hit you that way?
0: Well, first can of you put all, the, your finger st- on it? the setting, um the 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 grays and the and the 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 blacks the the, the color mm-hmm. the, the setting of 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 the of the actual imagery is is crazy beautiful and also it's inviting to me i mean i like the fact that you're inviting us into a really dark place in the in the leads life and that 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 place is is illuminating right so and those are the hmm. colors of the film it's darkness with with deep light. I, is that the right phrase? I'm. Mm.
1: Uh, that's what comes to mind. The no, sound. that's why you're right. That's why, yeah, that's that's why it's black and white because it's that's what the moon is, right? right. And but so the the, in the, the movies about that the light and the the, dark. Yes, the
0: variations on the black and white. The variations mm-hmm. on on uh, you know it's the contrast in the film that it's just really gorgeous and it's unique. Dang. Uh The other thing I really. And I want to ask you, this is on my list, is the setting is something like, you know, the turn of the 20th century, late 1800s, Mm -hmm. early 1900s. And Mm -hmm. there's something, there's a reason for that. Why did you set it there? I'm interested in that.
1: Oh, it's a wonder. I, I think I've set multiple things there that I've done before. So there's a, there's a, another musical we wrote that we recorded called The Raven Locks. And that's set right at 1914. It's set in the in the city of Southampton right after the Titanic sunk in 1914, because that was like the main port of, of what is it, Deep Art, uh, like where they would embark on the war. The soldiers would come out through there, and then the wounded would come back in. Mm-hmm. And so there was something about the, when I was, it was, it was 2014 and it was 100 years after so this movie is taking place about 100 years before now and there's this there's a weird parallel between the 1920s the roaring 20s and what's going on now there was this boom in technology um there was this struggle people were trying to figure out what to do with the mass production of alcohol it seemed to have an effect that's why prohibition came in there was this giving over to appetites like people had invented condoms and they were becoming readily distributed and it was radically changing the behavior of people so uh I think the, the rapid progress in the 1920s is very similar to what was happening for me in uh, 2020. So, uh, you like, I mean, really one of the things that happened after the fact, and I don't want to give too much away from the story. So for people who don't know at home, it's a silent film And the, and the advantage of having a silent film was that, well, we're a band, we're making a record. I can make the music go wall to wall and not have to worry about stomping on dialogue or something like that. So, uh, and then most of it scored, I did the score obviously too, as well. So, um, what happened is, so in 2019, we wrote a record called Dead Horse. Uh, We had written a story probably in 2018. And I was becoming concerned about, like, people's love of safety and protection. And so I wrote an album about a future world that was shut down by pandemics, um, which turned out to be a very, yeah, it turned out to be very well-timed. Because by the time the the second half of the album was coming out in in March of 2020, it was like, like we were boom. We were in the middle of it. And I felt like I saw it around a corner coming. So... Um, I felt a little extra prepared for it, but also it's good marketing to have just have ready to go a record for the times. Um, And some of it had already come out, which was very detailed in, in some of the events came in. But so what happened with this film in 2020, when I wrote the story, um, actually wrote the story right at the end of 2019, is that like people like Elon Musk like emerged and there was a lot of parallels with the character. So there's a couple of small things yeah. that I can mention about the movie is that there's a the main character is like like a technocrat, right? In in the 1920s, like he's flying around in airships and um, you know, he's a little ahead of the times. But he does this thing where he goes and takes the largest person alone ever to like unite communication and power in one point. And he's also involved in space travel. So there's this, there's been these weird parallels with people like Elon Musk since like that have developed since we started to release the story. Uh, so I, I think my guess was right as far as like that setting and what's going on now in our culture. Uh, one of the big themes of of the all the people below the technocrat is they're starting to get lost in their own appetites. Mm-hmm. They're starting to indulge themselves, which which what happens to a culture is like when a culture starts to focus on these things, their little idiosyncrasies they want to indulge. Um, the tyrants behind the scenes can can manage all kinds of manipulation at the same time. And it's it's even a pattern that you see in the book of Revelation where there's this harlot that's that's working people into, you know, um, idolatry in her and all these types of fornications and temptations. And meanwhile, this tyrant uses that to gain power and pushes her out of the way and then you're stuck. So um, there's something about the 20s where I felt like that was a good setting to talk about what's happening now. And there's a lot of parallels.
0: Well, yeah, there's something, man, you nailed it. It is. It is similar in time. It's also there's something about the answer to the question, is in always in the technology. It, it harkens back to C.S. Lewis. The answer to the question is in the magic, but the magic, yeah. the magic is always an appeal to, to the passion, and you know it, it's never the magic never makes it. bow b- directly. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Magic. The magic no, directly. Always,
0: Yeah. And 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 I think the technocrats of today just like you said, which your film really highlights. Um, And the bankers in the movie are great. Uh, I won't give anything away except for those are the, to me, those were were beautiful characters. Well done. The contours are so real. But uh, that answer is that if we just get enough money and the right technology, then everything gets fixed. There's always the magic answer, which is always the passionate answer, which is always why it's Uh a little dangerous. We don't have any assesses, no asceticism, I'm not talking about monks and nuns, although those are really important too. But the ascetic value in culture has, well, it's just not apparent to people. I think people still do it, right? When they raise a child, they're being an ascetic. But I don't think they realize that's a value to to be heralded and attained. I don't think
1: they think like that anymore. Uh, man yeah i think you're right i think you gave me you just said enough there we could probably have a four-hour conversation um on that there's that's loaded you said a lot of loaded. well let's take one piece of it because people who watch this well let me you know
0: what i I want to apologize to to that to people who watch this (laughs) No, i'm doing it again i'm doing it again
1: (laughs) okay i think there's one helpful way to frame up what you're talking about that no one almost no one thinks about and I'll just say a sentence at first to help us understand this. So one of the things when you're talking about technology, all technology has to do with what a power that your body has, right? It has to do with, like, you know, it's so interesting thing is like, you know, you get a forklift. And it's like people can lift things, but we can't lift what a forklift can make. That's why we make a forklift. Right. And no one's offended by forklifts. But, uh, you know, right now, people are offended by AI. Like this is a different thing because it's starting to move out of a different realm. Like with AI, you're starting to move away from the body and into the mind. And now it's starting to become a challenge for people. And we're starting to see what technology really does. So one of the things I try to tell people this is that in 2020, my wife and I sold a lot of our stuff. We had a much larger home. I had a much larger studio. And I had a revelation about these things. It wasn't just in a like pious kind of puritanical way. I was realizing that you don't get to own anything for free. Everything changes you, it shapes what you see and it shapes how you see the world. And so this is a hard thing for people to understand, but I think I have a short story that can kind of work them through that. So let's imagine you are you haven't eaten all day and you're invited over to a friend's house for a dinner and there's gonna be other friends there. You walk in the house and you're starving. You know, you're gonna greet everybody. You're gonna go to the ritual, but your eyes are gonna go where? It's gonna be like, is there appetizers? Is there food, right? So your body's telling you what to look at. Like your desire is telling you where to look. And we don't realize that, um, we just think we're looking around at things that are interesting or whatever. But if you start to pay attention, you realize that, oh, let's what's going on in your body tells you what you want to look at and what you will entertain and what you won't entertain and what's what should come into focus and what should stay blurred out in the background. So the hungry you are, the more everything else will blur out in the background and the more you'll only see the food or if you're thirsty, same thing. So once you have kids, so once you have kids, you realize that like oh your children are extension of your own body why cuz like okay there's a park my wife and I go to all the time so you're bringing a little toddler with you to the park and mm-hmm. you didn't you didn't ever consider anything dangerous in the park before that but then you start to see different things it's like we weren't going to get on the swing set before but you see a swing set and you're like oh toddler like swing set let's do you know so it's it's desires start to show you that and then also the need to protect it like oh that's a place the child could fall off you start to see the world differently so that child changes how you look and and we notice mostly, you get mostly positive things in the sense that we used to wake up on Saturday morning and think, what do we want to do today? And then when you wake up with a child, you're kind of like, we have to do something to keep this child alive right now. So you actually, it forces you to be less selfish and being less selfish is a net gain. Um, okay, so the problem is it doesn't just end with children and stuff to become an extension of you. Everything you buy and bring into your home, even your home itself changes the way you see the world so you don't get you don't just get to add things in forever like we we bought a house and it just happened to have a pool and that weren't necessarily looking for a pool but we weren't going to not buy the house because it had a pool you're like fine you get a pool for free no you don't you gotta take care of that pool you gotta get a pool guy you gotta clean the pool you gotta you gotta put a fence up around your house so neighbor's kids don't come running over and drown you've gotta like figure out how to regulate your own kids swimming you gotta take put chemicals in the pool so now i'm spending time and energy on a pool so um, one of the things that we in our weird sort of materialistic society, and I don't mean ma- just straight up materialism as the philosophy, the, the idea that people like things and we like to add things to ourselves, and we're becoming uh, people that have more and more of a relationship with things, is that all of these things, as they become more affordable or you, ex- you expand your th- things, you lose your mind a little bit technically because mm-hmm. you don't have the time to attend to what's above as much. You have to tend to these earthly things and your body gets huger and huger and your appetite gets larger and larger. So I've become very skeptical of anything I bring into my house anymore, not in like a legalistic puritanical way, but almost as like trying to be like a a philosopher about it. It's like, man, I get this one life. Like, where do I want to put my attention? Do I want to, do I want to maintain a large house? Even if I can afford one, do I want to maintain all these things? Do I want these things to be, um, stuff i have to put my time into or, or where, where should i really put my time you know and what do i want to leave um leave this world with having done so i think that this is a, a modern problem is that people are totally blind to this this notion i think if i was going to add one quick anecdote to that um anecdote. so it's you, you we think about the show hoarders i don't know if you've ever watched the show hoarders it's people are absolutely plagued. i've
0: definitely watched that show my wife they can't enjoys. get rid of
1: their stuff it's they nuts. can't get rid of their stuff. Yeah. And all these people have the same thing in common. They have trouble having real relationships and connection yeah. in their life. Yeah. Right. So these people, they 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 come up with a substitute for that. And so they when they describe their things, they have a story in a relationship. They personify those things and they can't get rid of them because it's it's getting rid of their friends and their and the stuff they've added to themselves to make up for that void. But the problem is the reason they hoard is you can never have enough of what you never really wanted in the first place. And the protection against these things was learning to connect and have real relationships. And this is why in 2020, when everyone was shut down and everyone was kept away from other people and people were making less money in a lot of situations, you had a banner gear when it came to Black Friday, because the the that what it turns you into to the uh, emptiness, you're a, you become the. Perfected, idealized consumer, the more lonely and separated you are from other people. Yeah. So, yeah. You know, you're making me without,
0: we do heavy things lightly. That's our tagline. I love that. I didn't know that. Heavy things lightly. We do the heavy things lightly. So I'll add a little heavy and then we'll try to make the story. No, no, I like the heavy. Can we just do heavy? But then we'll, (laughs) okay, we'll do it. No light. This is the No Light (laughs) Show. (laughs) I'm going to take a break from Neil for one second to introduce a new segment led by a new woman named Molly. Guys, Molly is a supporter and she wants to say a few words each week on Two Minutes with Molly. Welcome, Molly. This is yes, two thank minutes. You. This is two minutes with you, super supporter. This if there's a thing we've offered, you've done it. You've gone on a KP journey. You take the night yep. classes. Now you're going to join the wine and class club, and then yep. what else? You eat hajapuri. you just like
2: I make it. You, you I make it. You don't. I know how aggressively, I, like it. I aggressively hmm. promote watar and first things.
0: Buy it. You make.
2: Georgian no, not the not the hajapuri. No, no, no. That would work too, though. Can you imagine? Hey, listen to this show. Here's some cheese bread. <laughs> I don't know. That's an option.
0: Is that a, you need to that... be
2: open again? You're too narrow right now. Who are you trying to reach right now? Just like normal people.
0: Just normal people who want to support.
2: Like little by little. Targeted
0: aid authentically, right? Yeah, Two like little by little. Humans, little by little. No
2: more little by little. Big by big.
0: That's what we're doing.
2: That's what you need to do. So here's what you need to do. You need to have like a celebrity spokesperson. Uh JFK is no longer available, so that's not an option. That's not good. Um, not an option. Um, I don't know. Like you could Giselle bundchen isn't she like single now? She's got time, you know. Giselle,
0: could we get Giselle? I
2: don't know, maybe. Mm. Well, JFK and Giselle. I guess I was going for the just ja sounds, so that's not um, really a
0: strategy.
2: Yeah. That's totally a strategy.
0: Just sound superstars. Yeah, I don't know. Well, what about um, J- Jay Z? Ooh,
2: that could work.
0: Yeah, I think he aligns with some of our local hopes and dreams. It feels like he's trying to change the world.
2: Isn't that what you're trying to do?
0: No. How are you a super supporter, Neil? You're making me think. No, of a twist it's not really a twist i think it's actually might be the understanding and i'm gonna do a bible story but the, oh, camel, the camel that can't get through the needle of course really refers to the camel the wealthy the rich and don't hear like i've got a big bank account a wealthy person who has stuff that they don't need that mm-hmm. stuff has malformed them in other words it's given them a hump and the hump doesn't allow them to pass through what should be a, a proper uh, a passageway. Right. But they've actually become formed according to the stuff. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and so what I always think is what you just said is that I always imagine, always, my, I see my mom and dad, good people. But they had acquired a hump, and the hump was: we got to get a nice house with a big lawn. That was the acquisition of their mind. Was that's yeah. how we do it? And by the way, this mm-hmm. is everybody, circle. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. Seventy, you know what I mean? And that's what we're gonna do. We're gonna get it. And what happens is, is the house then starts to control the culture. And I noticed something. Like just to go on a little side tangent, lightly. The lawn does not exist in places where we work, like in East Africa and West Africa and and the Caucasus where we do our our nonprofit work with this extreme poor. They don't have lawns, which Mm -hmm. fundamentally changes their conversations and it changes the culture. Mm -hmm. The lawn is not to be maintained. It's to be used simply for like a garden. Like it's constantly, everything's in use. And and sometimes the use is to grow weeds so that you can create a more rich and fertile ground. Everything coming out Mm -hmm. has this, this like, mm, this, this practical sense to it. You're not maintaining it in order to demonstrate to the outside world, something about you. You're actually working it in order to live. Yeah. I, I think you're speaking. I think there's something together that we're talking about that gets into the water and it's in our mm-hmm. water, man.
1: And it it's came in, out well, in the pandemic. It's, listen, it's not as even as it's worse than I said it was because you have, you you throw in some, types of technology so um, that we're not good at yet. Like, you know, if you ever watch the 1920s stuff, I watched a ton of old restored footage of the early 1900s of like cities and roads and how cars would behave on those roads. You watch people drive in 19, like 15. It's madness. They're (laughs) driving everywhere. There's no stop signs. There's no like which side of the road. They're like a horse and carriage and they're buzzing by everything and pedestrians are jumping out of the way. And there's it was terribly dangerous even at low speeds early on. It was a long time before we figured out like, oh, there's there's a problem here um and this is this is the way culture works in general so like you know it was like how long were we using asbestos before we realized mesothelioma was That's a right. result That's how right. long were people smoking cigarettes before we realized emphysema was a result it takes us a crazy long time to catch on to what our new pleasures and technologies are doing to us so you get social media like it's it's radically and the internet has radically changed the sense of com- a community and what a community is for <laughs> everything becomes so we just normal You're describing
0: people? obesity on one level now, don't hear like fat, but it is, yeah, fat. yeah, right. But excess, and, yeah, excess. And then the pandemic, it was mm-hmm. almost like the pandemic was the outcome of obesity and in all of obesity's many meanings, right? Like the pandemic yeah, had right. to come almost, I think. Right. Of it like that. Yeah,
1: yeah, so I think that, well, yeah, because you, uh, you know, if you only like, so there's a uh, song I wrote called But Never a Key. And I'll try to quote the song lyrics at you. I don't do this often, but it fits. It's this, um, it said, um, lo, that's the way it goes. I'm sorry, you'll never be free. If all that you see is the danger, the cage will relieve. Um, lo, that's the way that it goes. Um, wait, sorry. Uh, wait, hold on. <laughs> that's the, um, no, go that's go the path. That, you know, I said, sorry, lo, that's, that's the path that you chose. A true hedonist indeed. So don't lift a finger. Your warden provides all you'll need, but never a key. Wow. So, but that's the way I wrote that before the pandemic, because that's, everything was pointing in that direction. People were totally ready. They were so ready to be like, like, listen, protect me. I need a cage. I need a cage. It's too, it'll keep things out. It'll keep me from getting out of control. Um, So, but that,
0: does that come from our fear? Is that what the fear of death is too? That's all the same
1: Part, yeah part of the same i mean it's all the fear of it's all the fear of death i mean um so like so we're getting back to social media you know one of the things that struck me i was studying the the story of snow white and I was uh jonathan Peugeot and i were studying these two stories and one was snow white and one was um sleeping beauty and the we we're trying to get it, it was about getting to the bottom for a podcast of the idea of like why are these princesses so sleepy and what does it mean but there was a thing that jumped out to me unrelated to this necessarily, which was the queen who's mirror, mirror on the wall, who's the fairest of them all. And now this is something we understand. That's the motives of a villain, right? She wants to be like, I describe myself as a teenager. So I relate to this. You know, I wanted it for me. And but dude, like like Instagram, social media, like oh influencers. God. It's this is exactly what they're saying, like explicitly to themselves. And I, you have to catch myself because I have to post on social media for my for my art. And so I'm always trying to check myself. Am I showing off? Am I trying to get likes? Am I trying to use a community to farm validation for myself? Right. Or am I adding value to them? Or how do, or even better, how do I use this thing that's pulling people out of community? That's right. Like Robin Hood to push them back into real community. That's right. Man, so we're on the same I, I, page, Neil. Yeah, same I had page. to flip it. I had to flip the script because it was sneaking up on me, man. I was doing the same thing everybody else was, and it was it was the it was the wicked queen in Snow White. So, um, I think that's so important. So, I think that uh, you know, but our, but if you look at our culture, that same analogy, we're doing it in every way. We don't I, we don't understand like I like. There's a part of me like doing like rock and roll sometimes and stuff like that. I want to dye my hair and I want to look younger. But I'm like, do I really like, what does it mean to have gray hair? And when you get in the meaning, so when I look out the window, one of the things I explain to people when I talk is like, well, look out the window. I don't have this nihilistic, materialistic, scientific view of what I'm seeing. I'm not saying that there aren't mechanical causalities to how all this gets here and exists. But I think that that none of those explanations eliminate the reasons why things are the way they are, meaning that when I look out the window, it can be read. It can be read as there's meaning in it. And it's a story it's telling you. And so on a human level, I'll just give you one example of if we want to talk about what's happening to people aesthetically, maybe we can get into the aesthetic. So I'm trying to slowly unpack all the things you said in that one really great paragraph but no it's great it's I'm one of the complaints
0: i get from people no no like, i love ah, it no we lot. can do it i've got <laughs> it in it. my short-term memory Go right now
1: so I i've it. still got a couple I'm more drinking points mezcal
0: more. I'm, I'm day drinking mezcal oh, just dude as you, as why you
1: don't speak. i have mezcal i know I have, because uh,
0: i'm gonna I give you a, a toast for you. i forgot to tell you forgive oh, okay. me okay well going. hold on i love this
1: i'll just can i just drink straight from the bottle? i'll do it please we're gonna toast we're gonna okay so great so the um we're talking about the aesthetics of people and, and now and i'm going to play that against aestheticism. okay so one of the things that happens is like gray hair gray hair wrinkles baldness this is a vertical story happening on a horizontal plane so as you go along horizontally through life your hair gets whiter um and for some men their hair gets thinner my hair's gotten a lot thinner than it was when i was younger mm-hmm. um it's almost the point where i'm going to shave it so um but these things, yeah, they're beautiful. That's a beautiful. I, I, so I can tell you why that's a grand thing. That's a beautiful thing. Let's that do happened. it. I'll that's, leave it off for this. ok. I, I'm so, showing my um, bald head, yeah, I love it. So uh, so this is the same experience. So what's supposed to be happening as you age, you're supposed to be getting higher and higher on the mountain, meaning you're gaining perspective and wisdom. You know, for example, if we were all trying, to, if you and I were in Lord of the Rings and we were trying to get to Mordor and we didn't know which way to go, but I decided I'm going to climb up to the top of the mountain and look where Mordor is. When I came back down, you're not going to argue with me about which direction it is. You know, I went to the mountain. You know, I saw it. You know, you can't see it down here because you're blocked by the trees and the rocks. So that's the, the metaphor of climbing the mountain is seen literally in people in the sense where our hair gets white over time and what's white what are the white things in the world the tops of mountains that you know the the snow never melts well what else is a feature of the top of the mountain well the closer you get to the top of the mountain the less trees you're going to find so balding um so balding is also a symbol of that you're supposed to gain perspective so wrinkles are the same thing wrinkles are this depth and this deepening but but this is real i I think that I'm, i'm not making this up like I used to think I was making these things up, and then I found people like uh, Jonathan Peugeot and Jordan Peterson, and, uh, and oh my gosh, the church fathers. Like, uh, well, there you go. St. Maximus, St. Maximus. Yeah, right. Right. And F uh, from the Syrian, and uh, St. Ephraim from the Syrian. And I found these people and I'm like, okay, I wasn't just making this up. I'm, I'm seeing something similar. Then you realize they see way more uh, than you did. So like now I have a better resource to learn these things faster, but okay. So the wrinkles, like the detail, the depth, the stories you have, the examples, that's what those things represent. So when you look at a culture that is desperately trying to avoid death, they won't come with, they don't come to terms with death. They won't face death internally and spiritually the proper way they're going to do something about it. So like Peugeot says, he says symbolism happens. I think there's something happening in our culture when you're unwilling to let yourself mm-hmm. go gray, when you're unwilling to let yourself go bald, when you're unle- you are you want to Botox the wrinkles, you want to fill things in, you want to look 20 forever. Um, you're admitting, you're admitting to everyone that you haven't earned the gray hair, that you haven't earned the balding, that well, you, because you, you don't understand what life is about and that you're not having uh, this internal uh, transformation. Now there was a there was a bishop and another archpriest who was at the um the, your brother's conference uh, mm-hmm. for um Uncut Mountain Press and like I was astonished by these guys because just looking at them sometimes I'm intimidated by intimidated by people in these positions because they appear holy and they appear stern and then they speak and there's this like childlike wonder that you'd never even had so much when you were a child. There's this love and there's but but it's accompanied by this wisdom. And then it's in a frame where it's even exaggerated because the body, the body's old, the body's gray, the beard's right, long, right. the hair's falling out. And it's right. so beautiful. And like what a message that is to like people who are struggling in life with 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 vanity to see older people who embrace it and will actually earn the gray hair in the balding as opposed to panicking and constantly spending the rest of their life trying to look young. So, I think that's that's a that's a, another level of tragedy we're experiencing in our culture, and we have to we're this is the garden we're planted in. and my my only way out of it is church. like I don't the church is my only way out of it. otherwise, everywhere I look, I'm just sucked right back into this narrative where i can't I can't get out of the superficial this and is I can't what get what we world.
0: talk about a lot here is that we we call it old world new world stuff, man. you just described. So you know you're you're describing a type of truth that has been basically neglected as truth. So it's been made into poetry and and mythologized it within poetry or within the narrative of a novel. These things all seem to be not true, but they're really pretty or something. But they're actually a type of science. And I don't want to take that That's word it. back, you
1: know? Yeah. I think it's bad that the word science has a negative connotation. It's so sad because we only encounter science and scientists in, in the media where That's the right. people who get brought in front of us are bought by something and have another set of interests wow. besides actual scientific pursuit. And so yeah. that word's becoming like what lawyer was or used car salesman but, was for a but while.
0: You, but you gave us science in that whole description of the top of the mountain as a type of revealing and therefore I should be bald. That's all logical. That's all rational. But what yeah. it's not is it's not evidence through the scientific method or like you know Francis Bacon's method or whatever the method has replaced yeah. the logic the method is the thing now that we have to worship which is kind of absurd because we can come to rational beautiful true conclusions without using quote the scientific method as its yeah, own yeah. individual activity you know what i mean yeah. and and i think i think you just i think you just showed it I think you just demonstrated and of course, I showed
1: it for us. I showed it for us. I can tell you who didn't hear that and why. Um, the parable of the seed and the sower, some of the seed falls on a path, right? A path is something that's been mm. committed to another purpose already. It's not fertile soil. So what people don't realize, so when I talk to someone, so like if I talk to an, uh, like a new atheist, they have a radical set of presuppositions that they think are just given. Like mm-hmm. they're just given. And it's like, actually, no, you have a really radical set of presuppositions. In fact, there's an entire universe and way of knowing and way of learning that you've literally your presuppositions don't allow you to collect information in that category. So if if you're going to put water, you're going to drink water, you got to put it in the glass. And so let's say the presupposition is a glass. So a, a, a rare presupposition, which is not a radical one as far as history, when you're talking about old world versus new world is this idea that the world is filled with meaning that like not just, not just what is written and revealed Um, let's say like as a Christian, what's revealed through scripture has meaning, but the the natural world has an intelligibility to it. We see it in Proverbs, we see it from Solomon, we see it in like, this is why Jesus teaches in parables because he can talk about everything all at once in the most beautiful way. And they just, they stun me, the absolute coherent logic there is within them as well as there's this beautiful art. And so if people, like I tell people, I'm like, listen, if you can't look out the window and ever imagine that there's something going on here besides random causes that made everything including you if you can just find a way to 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 start to look and collect information under the under this idea that like no you were made for a reason you're made for a purpose like there's a purpose for this creation this creation is 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 like a womb we're being developed for something better but there's stuff happening outside the world and you won't know about it unless there's this analogous analogous natural level within it and you learn to read that world you can't collect things. So what you and I just said, which it just sounds like pure logic, is nonsense for someone who can't embrace that presupposition, who only thinks there's one side of the coin to the universe. There's just material, materialistic things. It's yeah. material... And there's this physical laws, they don't even ask where the physical laws came from or who's maintaining them or how they were maintained or how physical laws could ever create themselves or form. They'll never ask that question. They just see the stuff and they're like, no, we can explain it. All this other stuff is made up by the human beings who came about through random processes. Yeah, but
0: brother, I'm going to tell you something. I previously, before this job with First Things as you know, founder, whatever, I was in education, higher mm-hmm. and also high school. But I have to tell you something. Your music is an answer to a lot of kids who fall prey. It's depression on some level to this lack of telos or purpose. Because if you watch any, if you watch an atheist school psychologist, profoundly atheist in in their outlook, if you watch their conversation with these young folks, I'm going to tell you where your music comes in. They are trying to deliver a sense of meaning to this kid. (laughs) Now they're right. doing it using these Freudian sort of presuppositions. Fine, whatever. Yeah. But they're they're kind of always kind of coach this kid up into see it's important. See you can do it. You are somebody. There's some meaning they're trying to guess. Where these kids go? Most of these kids they go into music. They go shut their door and they crank up something, and it's really important what you yeah. guys give them because if the music. And all of it's not just the lyrics, the, all of it is uplifting in a way that drives them towards something deeper. They'll be okay. because. And But you know what? I'm just afraid there's no place. They, they don't have that music. They don't have that going on in their life. Now, don't get me wrong. All music has some sort of purpose. But what I'm trying to say is I just thought of you as a type of psychologist because all this you're saying must get into <laughs> your music. It must get into your music
1: yeah accidentally like i think the music comes like the ideas come in like a storm like there's a problem there's something i'm i'm um, there's a there's a pattern that's concerning to me like you know covid was a great resource for creativity for me because there's mm-hmm. a constant storm and the storm drops off lost animals at your doorstep and you nurse them back to health and you release them and that's how the creative process works and then later i figure out why like sometimes i realize i like there's a film there's a script i'm working on right now where it was like i was almost finished with the story before i realized where it had come from, what I was trying to work out. Like, I didn't know when I was doing it, I was just putting the things together where they seemed like they fit and and were interesting to me. And then when you look back, you're like, oh yeah. So, but I mean, what you're saying is like, I'm shocked because like what you're saying is, I get those messages from people. I get so many people who reach out to us. I, get, I think they sense that we see something that could be helpful to them, but they don't know what it is and they're struggling. And man, the world is a lonely place. The world's even a lonely place for pretty people. It's not just the incels that people are want to, hate on um you know yeah the not, pretty people end up in
0: in hedon. they that that yeah. part's easy the hedonic you know inclination mm-hmm. in a
1: pretty person
0: i get yeah. it, but you're right it's the incels it's everybody it's the west everybody bro. and it's
1: it is it's so crazy to me when people are like this meant this to me in this time and i'm like how like i didn't <laughs> that happened it i want that to happen but i don't make it happen you know what I mean? Like, I don't make it happen. I don't I don't decide I want that. I don't decide that's right. going to happen. You're not it writing
0: just, the music as a proposition.
1: Right. It just happens to happen sometimes. And um, I think that's, uh, I think I think the reason why, because you can say all music has a purpose. And like, so like, even like, let's take a genre like heavy metal that's hated. Yes, it can have a purpose. Like most of the friends I knew who grew up loving the heck out of heavy metal and were troubled kids and had dad issues, worked those problems out in heavy metal. Like, they got to the bottom of it, you know, they they sat there and screamed at their wall enough in their room, and they're the sweetest people I know right now. Like, But at the same time, things can also have a bad purpose. So, part of the thing we're stuck in, like, musically, and it's very hard for me to engage pop music because, um, well, I have, I have some sympathy for the artists that are making this crap, because... God bless them. The world has such a short attention span. Yeah, that's if it. You, if, if you look at a piece of music by Beethoven that was written for kids, it's it's so much more complex than anything you would find written for adults now. And because people had the attention to hold, you know, what was happening 14 notes ago and how it relates to this note. But now things it 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 degraded to the point where music just became about hooks. It wasn't about melodies and stories and, and difficult concepts to the point where it, it's just about short rhythms and then of course because you can't get people's attention the only way to get people's attention because poetry takes some time to develop the beautiful concepts take a little little discipline and a little attentiveness to develop you can't just you can't solve the world's problem in one line look at twitter so the the problem is is that you're 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 stuck with things that get attention like if you want to be getting attention, you're you have to be willing to say the thing that's on the edge. You have to be willing to say the thing that people won't yeah. say. I had a chorus teacher in high school who couldn't get our attention. He would yell the word sex and we would all stop talking and listen, right? This is what this is what the culture is. So, I mean, it's not a great strategy. I don't think this is a good strategy, but they like God bless them, father forgive them. They don't know what they're doing to people. They don't know what they're doing. Well, they he don't got know his what attention. He got people. the attention. Yeah. yeah. But there's ways to get the attention that, and it has purpose. So music right now, I don't think is, I think most music I'm hearing isn't good for you. It might be good as far as your taste like it, but your taste might be formed against you. You don't know, like people just take that for granted.
0: Well, see, I might, I might, I might give you more credit than you're laying out. I, I do think that your music is infused with a type of glory. And I do think that comes, I am not. I know you're not writing as proposition, like I'm going to show them. I know that. Uh, but there's something about the nature of your relationship with those who you're writing, I'm sure it's your wife and everybody else you're working with, that allows for glory. And I don't mean like, you know, Jesus is number one. I'm not talking about that. Hey. There's something about the music that's inviting to the high, to the highest point, to something up there. Um, and I do think that comes from pre- predisposition or or dispositions.
1: All right. All right. I'll give you that. I'll give you that. Um, I think what happens is if I want to describe the process, like when I'm writing lyrics, um, because I I put a lot of of effort into writing lyrics, I know I'm onto something when I get a lump in my throat. I'm not a particularly emotional, easily a person who easily cries. And it'll be a weird thing. Sometimes it puts a lump in my throat. It might be I've mythologized something. And for whatever reason, the analogy or the symbolism hits in a way where Mm. you've connected the heavens and the earth. You brought something closer that's somehow. You don't know how you did it, but you brought something closer than it's it's normally at a distance, right? And you're like, oh, my gosh, you can't hold it there and you can't keep it there. I can't keep saying the line and getting the same feeling over time. Priestly.
0: That's priestly, the uniting of heaven and earth. That is oh, the priestly like... activity. And we, yeah, all the... we all do it.
1: We all do it that's the duty of loving your loving your neighbor that's what mankind ought to be doing so the idea of connecting this vertical space the vertical space is so ignored in in modern entertainment that um you know so like one of the ways to look at this because like there's all kinds of uh great ways music can function so if we just look at like maybe what was happening in europe in the 18th century versus what was happening in america and the uh 19th and 20th century music it went in two different directions so um it, it maybe it had something to do with the uh, the Catholic Church in Europe or just the European tradition, but the music is trying to transcend. Mm-hmm. So even you can hear this in like what you might call Europe, Euro rock. You might listen to U2 or even Coldplay. Now, these aren't my favorites, but there's there's something like they're reaching up for something. Right. And so you get over to the American forms of music and it's and uh, like our spiritual tradition became kind of more of a blues jazz tradition. It was more about looking inside validating your current circumstances now both of these things need to function in art but like we were talking before so now we can circle back down to uh what i learned so i, I started going to or, or an orthodox church in early 2019 and something hit me the first I time it, that.
0: i wanted to find that it out. made
1: Maybe. sense to me suddenly because like you know the problem with talking like i don't I don't try to talk people into Christianity much. I, I talk about it. I make a declaration of what I believe is true, but I don't try to. Per, I don't try to persuade. I will answer people's questions, but because one of the problems with Christianity is for it to be true, it has to be more than something I could just explain to you on the outside. Okay. Like for it to be what I claim it to be, I can't just. I can't. This a part of the dialogue that's happening on the internet right now, this frustrating, is like. Yeah, but like until they until they have a glass that can collect this information, until they participate in drinking it, until they sit down at the table with everybody else, and they're like, "I understand what this food tastes like." You're just describing a meal that no one's ever flavors that no one's ever tasted. You can only get so far. So, um, I you know I think that's. Let me try to get back around to what I was going to say. So, asceticism and beauty. Okay, that's what I was going to say. So, 2019, I. I cried like a baby at Orthodox Church. Now it's a very big Orthodox church with a very beautiful choir and a very beautiful iconostasis. For people don't know, that's this thing that's on the altar. And there's this these wonderful as a visual artist. Like, I was like, oh my gosh, like the, the artists who designed these icons, like even the story icons, like they understand something so much more participatory about art than I ever did. And they're connecting the the moment. The world came into being to the moment this age will end in one picture somehow. And I'm like, oh my gosh. And like it was overwhelming to me. But like at the same standing time, right know. there, you were crying. You just had tears. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like an idiot. People um, saw you. My wife like, had the same experience. Crying.
0: That guy's crying.
1: Yeah. Uh, hopefully they weren't looking at me too much. <laughs> uh well I have a lot of like distracting things going on too. So maybe the glasses and uh <laughs> so true. anyway. He's
0: crying sort of I think I can't tell but he's crying.
1: I'm I'm having this moment I'm having having this encounter with beauty, something that was that in my previous practice of trying to reach for the heavens, I could never embody or get to, it was suddenly brought very close. It was like that dome on the ceiling. I was up inside of it. And it was like, everything came down and became animated to me. So, but I had a weird revelation as I was driving home. It was like, how can this be like, how can this be here all this time? And I never saw it. And how did I, how did I, -hmm. how did I not know? Like, I was trying so hard to know God. Um, not all the time, not perfectly, but I I felt like I was trying. And like, I felt like it was answered in that moment. So, but I realized that there was something else that was, was holding that up, a foundation for that, because like that ecstatic experience I had was, was buffered by something really important that you'd mentioned before, which was asceticism, is that you need to have a practice and a plan to deal with the fact that, you know, like, well, let's say obsession. Like I, I deal with this in the movie. This you can see in the trailer. The main character's obsessed with something, right? And it's something far away, but you have to have something that, that grounds you at the same time. And I realize, like, the beauty can has gone so far within within Christianity as we see it in this church because there's fasting, because there's uh, you know they're, they're, you're learning to not let your appetites have dominion over you. Let my like, like the Lord's prayer. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I can say that Gnostically all day long, but until I embody that, until I really, my mind has the, uh, the authority of the heavens and my body says amen to my mind. Mm. And that doesn't happen just by thinking about it. You have to have a practice. And that's when I knew I was going to have to fast and I was going to have to do these things. It all kind of hit me in a moment. It's like, if I want this, if I want this beauty and I want more of it, I've got to, I've got to empty these things for myself and I've got to get good at that. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah, for sure it does. And if you think about it,
0: I bet you would answer yes to this. That's probably happening when you're writing a song. You have to sit down and do it. You have to be an aesthetic for the song, right? Mm -hmm.
1: This doesn't just plop out. Oh yeah, dude. Well, the problem is, like, people like uh, sometimes people are like, "Oh my gosh, I would love to do what you do." It's like you probably wouldn't. It's exhausting. I dare you. I dare you because there's those these flashes, these lightning flashes of creativity. And the idea, and then a heck of a lot of picking up bricks and moving them around. And there's the ascent, there's the ascetic practice. That's it. You're absolutely right. I never heard someone put it that way, Mm -hmm. but the analogy totally works.
0: We, uh, our little catchphrase for our our work overseas is creation or sacrifice begins, uh, (laughs) creation begins with sacrifice. So yeah. all the beautiful things start with the sacrifice. Of course, that is in in alignment with Christ's resurrection after the cross. And yeah. you can see it play out in, in all the traditions of the world. And the question is, is whether our modern period, our new world wants to embrace that. I think if we don't embrace that, though, we can't have true creation and we're going to lack beauty as a society. I think that's happening. But maybe not. Yeah. May, maybe not, not individuals. I mean, you're making movies that are beautiful.
1: I'm trying. Well, I mean, so that is part of the impulse to make a movie too. Is that, um, I mean, I, I feel like the culture. So, like, when when entertainment became a commodity, we it, that was a no one sees the problem when they started. When entertainment became a commodity, these stories, these parables, biblical stories, even became a commodity. When fairy tales became a commodity, um, it started a, a slowly started a shift in our minds about what a story does for us. And instead of imparting wisdom, instead of getting us to go on an experience, to go on a journey so that our bad ideas can die and we don't. You know, like so that we can because it's very hard in the moment to see, to see that you're emphasizing things that are perishable over that which is imperishable. But mm-hmm. a good story can do that. It can, it can make you go on that journey and realize, you know what, I can maybe, I can maybe sacrifice now for something great later. I can maybe um, you know, not have sex before marriage so that i could have trust and intimacy later because she knows i can control myself and Mm -hmm. and she knows that i reserve this for like these things like you you if you don't have the right stories you'll you'll never see this you don't you can't see i can't see far enough so when it became a commodity man it 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 emptied it of meaning and now it became i want to go home happy i want to go i want to have a good time i want to have a few laughs or i want like Or I want to use I want to be scared in a positive way where in a controlled setting where it's like a little little bit of an adrenaline rush. And then so what happened once it was emptied, it was like, oh, people realize we can stuff meaning in this. And what do they do in our culture because everything's politicized? They stuff politics into stories. And it's it's absolutely boring. It's the same dead art I used to experience in evangelical churches where everybody was on a mission to put a message into the music and the and all the songs and all the stories were manipulated to try to force a perspective in you. And we inherently reject that and those things come off as vapid to us. Yeah. And so dude, but the same thing's happening with the storytelling right now. The same thing's happening. It's like, everything is like, how do we want people to vote? How do yeah. we want people to vote?
0: Unfortunately, the people... So So here's a trick. Uh, tell me what you think about this. Because I have a theory. It's not me. It's many. I think that every great society dies in part because they embrace a certain vice. Now, Mm -hmm. there's all these other vices. Don't get me wrong, people. There's many, many causes. But I think you can say every culture embraces a certain vice. And we've Mm -hmm. embraced greed. So here's what I mean by that. The storyteller of today tells the story that will hit the most people for the most bucks. The problem with that is, is we all know that every human is potentially and usually, right, enslaved to their passions. So Mm -hmm. what can hit the most of us at one time is the most passionate. Now, people here who aren't familiar with the way the the old ancient Christians speak, passions aren't bad, but all of us have them. But the danger is, is that someone is manipulating us. And we aren't aware that we have them. <laughs> right. So we, 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 we think that our desire is good because it's our desire. But in reality, right. we know that the, a good commodifier will recognize in you and me and all of us that the main thing that drives us is our, is our desires. And then they tell the stories to inflame our desires. And we think it's good. And we pay money. And unfortunately, every story is then told for the greatest bang for the buck. And I think that's where we're going. And I, I, I just really love people who who risk the eternal story even though they might make less money. It's probably you, bro. I think you Oh
1: yeah, me. I make less money. <laughs> yeah. That's right. I make less money. That's so right. I get offers to do other things. It's just I can't. I just can't. It's so hard. And and uh but but you know, I think mean, there's hope. There's hope because like, okay, so what you're talking about with the old versus new, here's how everything works. Um you have a thing. You're naive about it, it. it Its value might be implied to you. You take it for granted. You lose it. You fight. You fight. You fight. You fight to get it back, and you gain some fighting skills. And you learn that it's worth protecting. And then you get it back, and you have that thing again. But now you have it. You, you have it as a wiser person who knows they need to protect right. it and maintain that thing. Right. So this hopefully, hopefully, was happening for some people in the culture is that as we've stripped these things, as we've as we've killed the spirits from the story, as we've lear- lost the verticality that we used to have implicitly—that was just accepted across the board, whether you were a pagan or, or you know, a um, Christian. Right? You you knew that the that the gods and the spirits were at play. When we lost that, and then those things became filled with lower passions, and the passions took over. When we get these things back, when we get this ancient. Well, I'm calling it ancient, but I mean it's just I think it's the way a person ought to see the yes. world. Yeah, I think right. that's great. I think that's right. great. Right. When you get that back, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna have the wonder of it again, the experience of living in it, but we're gonna be able to understand it better, hopefully. That would be my hope for the future of storytelling. And I think that I think people who are part of my my tradition and culture right now stand the best shot of doing this because Agreed. it it never disappeared from it. The sto- somehow. That, when the whole world said angels and demons are stupid, it's all science, that the presupposition that the world was created, that consciousness comes from God, that there is an uncreated being who created and filled all things, became out of vogue, and churches started to dwindle and put that language into the background. Somehow, that same church that I went and wept in, like, never lost it. It Never (laughs) lost it. And so I'm like, I found the wheelhouse. I found... The, the axis that's going to turn my wheel when it comes to, now I'm not going to go out and write stories on purpose, but it's going to change the way I see the world, it's going to change the way I collect what I see in the world, and yeah. it's just going to come out hopefully deeper and more it meaningful. It
0: can't help but do that. It, if it's coming out of something like metanoia in you, something that's called change, or or mm-hmm. I don't like change. Change implies like you got better. I'm not saying you got better. you 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 woke up. You became more of who you already were. Oh, there's more like light that. in my darkness, I hope. That's the way I could say it. You know? and then, so therefore, the things you produce have some of that too. Now, you can be cynical. You can go mm-hmm. against that what you know is good. I, I get that. And we do all that. Right. But I love what you say. And here's the really cool part is, in that sense, there's always hope. You know, there are Desert Fathers and, 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 and a lot of the early, the, the patristic writers. They have great hope because, after all, the Holy Spirit or that which animates man and women, that thing that animates hasn't gone anywhere. We're still here. It can't mm-hmm. be that there's no way to see it. It's just who will have the courage to provide it. You know what I mean? I
1: think that's yeah. part of it. Well, you have to, you, you, people have to, if they're sitting at home and they're and they're like, they're frustrated and they and they and they really become nihilistic because what the, what they thought were smart people were telling them something. It's something you would never tell a friend. You wouldn't go to a friend and be like, hey, listen, you're random. You're like, you didn't belong here. <laughs> you know, people of this race automatically hate you. Your friends don't really like you. You don't really need to be here. It's not going to matter that you were here in a thousand years. Oh, like, this geez. is what you're being taught as, like, the smart way to see the world. Oh, 100%. It's, it's,
0: it's, That's my it's favorite. Horrible.
1: But, <laughs> you know, I but...
0: Hey, buddy, yeah, I really love you. And also you're random.
1: You're <laughs> random. You don't need, like, no one's going to care what you do in don't, a thousand. I'm sorry. It wouldn't matter, matter that you were here. And so, like, of course, you know, of course, for people sitting at home, like, like seeing it that way, it's like, you things have to change. You have to, you have to, it won't change. It won't necessarily change on its own, meaning that you have to, you have to entertain angels. Like it's like, it would be a scripture for that. You yeah. have to be willing to host things. That You have to be able to willing to host the other side of the coin. Like, okay, science is fine. It, it, it We can measure things. We can tell you what's Congrats. there. <laughs> Congratulations. Like, we've always been able to do this. We're doing it on a better continuum. We're building yep. some really we powerful We refined technology. it. We got it down, Pat. Yeah. But Guess what, man? Like, you know, like when you wake up at three o'clock in the morning and something's nagging at you and you're not addressing, like, the spiritual stuff in your life. And then the more you ignore it, the worse you suffer for it like you the only way to change that is you have to become open like you have yeah. to say all right all right like what is this and there's and there's so much evidence for everything you and I have been talking about like here there's so much but you have to you have to open the container that could collect it you yeah, have to you say there's it. no way
0: the epistemology yeah. and all that with the, the heavy stuff is the epistemology and ontology and the idea that right you know we all have to fix that but the light stuff is, is you just can't walk up to your beloved and say you're random <laughs> <laughs> no, you
1: can't. You, can you can't try. You But can even try. like there's these there's these atheistic no. scientific people, right? Who I like, like you know, Brett Weinstein's one of them, and he described he'll describe how He's love great. came. He'll describe how love came about through these processes. Almost as like it, what what they're describing in the, the day is like a trick. It's like evolution tricked you into feeling love so that you would do things that were beneficial. It's like it's like did you propose to your wife using that line? No, <laughs> no you no. didn't because you can't live in that story no one can live in that story so it's not a good story and story matters story is story has a science to it and a truth to it more than the factual world does cuz cuz the so truth the, the truth is not just a definition anymore in the story the truth is personal and it's a yeah. persona and it's personified and And you've been learning it since the moment you looked at your mother's face and it made you smile. Like, that's truth. It's not these stupid definitions of things. And this is why Brett Weinstein did not propose to his wife, I guarantee it, using the (laughs) description of love because it's not a true story it's... i
0: don't know why this makes me laugh so much it's figured. so
1: ridiculous but we it's
0: don't a, get to see it it's a, i got a buddy who comes uh-huh. on here now and then uncle seth he's you should go watch one of our old episodes with him he comes on he's a he's a secular guy i love him he's a dear friend he's my you know he's uncle to my kids in a lot of ways yeah but i just tell him all the time dude i my story kicked the ass Shit out of your story because your story is at night when you go to tell your when your little daughter, you got beautiful kids, when they say, Hey, what happens when I die? His answer is this I'm like, nothing, dirt nap. And I'm like, You never have told that story to them. He's like, You're right. I don't tell them that story. I no, know of course not. you don't.
1: No. And Sam Harris says there's certain truths we shouldn't tell each other. It's like, that's not truth, dude. That's not, you're not talking about you're like the definition of truth is so low it's so low it's like what is factually correct on that's a calculator right. is like it's like no like when when yeah. Pilate stands before Christ and he says rhetorically what is truth he's like literally standing right in front of it it truth if you want to look at that way it's like that's truth dude this is truth yeah this is truth so which is I mean, fine we
0: can make room for that and by the way it's happening anyway it's yeah. happening anyway although I think not just on the internet I think it's happening and this is what's Without getting all like apocalyptic, this is what's lining up. Ooh, that's, that's where that's people why, will hang uh, up on me. <laughs> when I say old world, it's not just, it's just not people who lived back then. It's people now mm. who just refuse to accept every principle of, of new world thinking. Listen, man, what should we do? Should we talk again sometime? We've been uh, talking. Dude, to- I'm,
1: listen, I'm open for whatever. I think if it's okay with you, uh, I'm trying to work on a uh, self promotion. So I would tell people like, I don't think I ever said the name of my band. It might be in your title. Jerk for Robbins is the name of my wife and I's project. Uh, We make records and we make, we're making films now. We're making more films, hopefully. Um, And uh, you can follow our channel. You can search for us. I mean, I can leave a link for you for the trailer. Oh, we will. Of the 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 movie. Okay. Yeah. And so um, we love, we love having you come by and subscribe. I mean, that's, that's my ask. If you enjoyed the conversation, come on and, and hang out with us for the next couple of years.
0: I'll tell you what, I will. I did not know. I did not. I spent the last couple of days saying, okay, I want to talk to Neil, and I don't have to, you know, be his friend somehow. And now I actually feel like I am your friend. You made me laugh. This was easy, man. This was easy and it's wonderful. And I think people want to yeah. hear that. And I don't think we got too didactic and, and preachy. So, God willing, that's not the that's not the point of all this. But yeah, listen, I just
1: don't, yeah,
0: yeah, so I agree. Okay. We're gonna make sure that. We'll we'll make it all connected because this film is is, is special, and uh, I want people to see it. And also, your music is special, and uh, I can't wait to hear more from you guys. And maybe come to our restaurant. You ever? Where are you on the day to day basis? Are at West? I'm Florida.
1: Where in Florida? I'm Florida. Well, I guess the close. I'm um, south of St. Augustine, north of Daytona Beach. Those are the two biggest landmarks. So. interesting i'm going that yeah, way come so see we'll, me we'll talk yeah come you. see me i mean every time someone comes into florida that i, that I love i go see him so we'll hang
0: i'm driving that we're gonna do a oh we're gonna do a benefit concert guess what in the keys Where? next year maybe we we'll would talk to you
1: yeah pick me up that. on the way down i'll, I'll pick, pick me up on, the, up way on down. the way
0: down i think that great
1: be. man and let's pray for each other's projects in our lives and our families please do please do yeah. this was a joy neil yeah, dude, this was great. I I think I might have enjoyed this more than any podcast I've done yet. So <laughs> okay. you were a fantastic interviewer and a conversation partner. All right, I'll like see you soon. We'll, we'll do it again in a little
0: while. All right. Peace, awesome. Brother.
1: Peace. Peace. Gaggy Marjos
0: to Neil DeGrade. That was a great conversation. That made me happy. That made my little mezcal on the rocks taste... Well... Not much tastes better than Nescafe on the Rock. Maybe a beautiful, delicious, sparkling water with my wife. But other than that, what a nice interview. Neil, thank you. Guys, check out DirtPoorRobbins.com. Check out Queen of the Night. That is the film coming out. Just Google it, Neil DeGrade, D-E-G-R-A-I-D-E. Look in our pod notes. You'll find... Uh, links to his work. These guys are big-time musicians making big-time um, forays into culture to try to, I don't know, offer a new narrative. A bit of an old-world narrative. That's Neil. This is John Hears. This is First Things Foundation's podcast. Why are we talking about rabbits?